Hey church family, what a privilege and an honour it is to be able to share the word of God with you today. Our scripture for this message is found in the book of Ezekiel, reading from chapter 17 verses 22 through 24 in the New International Version. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the field will know that I, the Lord, bring down the tall tree and make the low tree grow tall. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. Part two of our Sojourner series, we recognize that from the moment Adam and Eve depart from the Garden of Eden close to the beginning of time itself, all of God's people now live with the identity of a sojourner. And that includes you, and that includes me today. This is The realization that where I am now in my life is not my home. This is not actually where I am supposed to be. It is not actually the life that God longs for me to have. It is not the life that in my innermost self I desire to have. Yet, despite this, this is the place from which I must journey through this life. The Bible itself is full of these sojourner stories. It's full of stories of travelers and wanderers, of pilgrims longing to be reunited with their God. And as we ourselves find ourselves in the midst of all the different crises of life, or maybe even in the midst of a good point in your life today, we are reminded through these stories and through our own experience that we too are sojourners. We must make a temporary living here, but the world, at least in its current state, is not our home. And just as the biblical authors strived to make a life of meaning and purpose that still followed God, we too today seek the same. Last week, Pastor Chris shared with us the story of Abraham and Sarah. She reminded us that as we journey through life and have all the different problems and the challenges that we must overcome... God is not one of the problems we face or a challenge we have to overcome. And that is because God is on our side. And that's amazing as I think about it, to think that the creator of the universe, the most powerful being in existence, is on my side, is on your side today. How encouraging is that? And so now we're going to fast forward quite a fair bit of the way through the Old Testament. And we're in the story and the life and the book of Ezekiel. But before we start to to unpack that and go into that a little bit further and deeper, right now I want to pause. I have been reflecting the last little while on the experience of being a sojourner. And I was remembering the time in my life where I literally became a pilgrim for four weeks and walked 540 miles on the trail of the Camino de Santiago from the French-Spanish border to the west coast of Spain. Most amazing experience of my entire life. Um, But I was trying to tap into what was the feeling? What does it feel like? 
to be a sojourner. And there was one story in particular that came to mind for me as I reflected on this. And I thought, well, we go through life perhaps feeling like we're not 100% at home, perhaps feeling like there's all these different uh, crises that come our way, these different things that happen. And I thought of one night in particular. I'd had a long day walking. I carried a 16-kilogram pack which is a little over 32 pounds, I think, in American speak. And I arrived at my albergue, which just simply meant Pilgrim's Hostel, for the evening. There was not a single other guest apart from myself there. What I did think was, whew, awesome, a night of peace and quiet. What I probably should have thought is, what is wrong with this place that nobody else wants to stay here? Anyway, I settle in and I lie down. I'm in this room. There's probably about 50 other beds apart from mine in this space. And I am the only person there. This is not my bed. If I'm being honest, it was a little bit hard and uncomfortable. This is not my house or my room. It's not my home. It feels a little bit off and a bit weird. And it's this giant cavernous space with nobody else there. Then the rustling began. I could not work out what it was. I turned my torch on and off and on and off, trying to work this thing out, and I just couldn't. And just as I was about to drift off to sleep, thud, something lands beside my pillow. I grab the torch, which by now I had beside me in the bed, and I turn the light on just in time to see the mouse go across my face. I don't think I have ever screamed or jumped so high for anything else in my entire life. This mouse runs across my face and it falls off the edge of my bed. I don't think I slept another wink that entire night. I was done for and I was so relieved to leave that place the next morning. And I thought, you know, sometimes going through life actually feels a little bit like my night in the freaky hostel of mice, where you're in a space and you're in a zone and it doesn't quite feel right and it doesn't quite feel like home and then the proverbial mouse runs across your face and gives you the shock of your life and you wake up realising that it's just another crisis, it's another day, it's one thing after the next and it just doesn't feel quite right. Well, this was certainly also true for Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel is one of the prophets uh, that helped to shape the narrative of the nation of Israel during a time that they had been captured by an enemy power. This power was the Babylonians, and they were living, or at least a group of them at this point in time, were living in exile from their homeland. Ezekiel's story is one that, if I'm being honest, has always fascinated me greatly. I don't know if you've read much of the the prophets, but the prophets in the Old Testament are known for some pretty wacky stuff, and Ezekiel is no exception. In fact, he does not disappoint at all. Just in the first five... I I could get sidetracked on this, um, so I won't get too many details, but just in the first five chapters of the book of Ezekiel, he receives this psychedelic vision of God's flying flaming, weird beings, throne, chariot thing, followed by eating a literal scroll, just to make a point. 
then he lies down for over a year on his side, drawing weird pictures, eating a strange bread that he cooks on flaming poo. <laughs> side note on that one. If you've ever heard of Ezekiel bread, that health trend, uh, that's where the recipe actually comes from, is from the story of Ezekiel cooking bread over poo. Anyway, uh, and, and then, <clears throat> not only does all of that happen, he grabs a sword, he uses the sword to cut his own hair off his head, and then he runs around the town throwing the hair up into the air and slashing it with the sword as it comes back down. This is just in the first five chapters of what is a wild ride of a book of the Bible. You cannot make this stuff up. If you don't believe me, read it for yourself. Uh, it's amazing. But anyway, Ezekiel is a part of this first group of captives that are taken into Babylon. And his story opens in chapter 1, verse 1, the first start of the book. I'm actually going to read it to you. Uh, this is what it says. In the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. I don't know about you, but I actually find it really easy to skip just past these kind of verses. It's the start of the book. It's a basic introduction. Hey, I'm Ezekiel. This is about the time of my life that we're in. Um... But what we often miss is how much establishing context there can be right at the very beginning. And if I didn't take a moment to just pause and reflect on this right now, all of us would actually be missing out on something incredibly profound. So here, just to break it down, we see Ezekiel. He's a fairly young man. He's been dragged away from his homeland. He's an exile. He's with fellow exiles or other people from his homeland that were dragged away with him. Uh, We think probably several thousand of them. He says he's by the Kabar River. So what? Well, further research reveals that the Kabar River was, was actually less of a river and more a part of an intricate canal network that was used by the oppressor that the empire set up and established in order to create a large farmland. And so Ezekiel in exile is living in almost kind of like a refugee camp, if you will, uh, except they're all tasked with the job of working the farms in order to feed the empire. They are living within this system of oppression that has captured them and put them to work for its own benefit. And then we read the words, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Okay, that statement or a similar statement is is several times in the Bible. What's so special about this? Well, this is significant because the people of Israel kind of thought and believed that God's presence lived in the temple. And now the temple was not in exile with them. The temple was a building back in Jerusalem, back in the homeland and not in their exile, and they believe that that is where the presence of God lived. And if you wanted to experience God, you went to the temple and you accessed a priest and and you went through the rituals, and that was where and how you could experience the presence of God. This is crazy, because right in the very first verse, before Ezekiel utters a single word of prophecy... We see the first revelation of his book and his 
And this revelation is actually that being exiled from your home does not mean that you are exiled from your God. And so for Ezekiel, this moment of waking up and realizing that his God is not just stuck in some temple back in Jerusalem, but his God has followed him into exile. His God is there with him in exile. His God has meaning and power and presence to provide in that space at that time of his life. This brings me to the first of of three core things that I want you to take away from this message. And that is as we as we think about living the sojourner's life as we think about what it means to sojourn in this world hoping to one day find ourselves at home, we don't sojourn or you don't sojourn to the presence of God, but you sojourn in the presence of God. You don't sojourn to the presence of God, you sojourn in the presence of God. And what I simply mean when I say that is that God is not restricted or restrained by your geography. God is not restricted or restrained by a certain level of moral accomplishment that you have or haven't reached in your life. God is not restricted or restrained by your nationality, by your class, by who you are, by where you find yourself, by your gender, by any factor you can possibly think of. God is not restrained by that because you're not trying to reach God. God has already reached and is with and is in and journeys alongside you. This is a phenomenal realization, although it seems a little bit simple perhaps to some of us that have grown up in Christian circles, this is phenomenal because if we already journey with the presence of God, then we can to some extent, maybe not wholly, but to some extent, we can actually find ourselves within ourselves at home even as we are sojourners in a land that feels foreign because the presence of God becomes our source of home and our source of hope. And so this is the moment where now we get to return before I announce the second point where we get to return to Ezekiel chapter 17, our our story for the day. And we're going to start at the beginning of the chapter because there's a lot of context that, that I want to share with you that leads into that final statement from God that we read earlier. And we have a look at verse 3, and God says through Ezekiel, he says, Say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, A great eagle with powerful wings, long feathers, and full plumage of varied colors came to Lebanon, taking hold of the top of a cedar. He broke off its topmost shoot and carried it away to a land of merchants where he planted it in a city of traders. He took some of the seed of your land and put it in fertile soil. He planted it like a willow by abundant water and it sprouted and it became a low spreading vine. Its branches turned towards him, but its roots remained under it. So it became a vine and produced branches and put out leafy boughs. Here we have this incredibly poetic and rich language and you sort of read it, you think, what is he talking about? But also this is incredible reading. And the story continues because there's a second eagle. 
There was another great eagle with powerful wings and full plumage. The vine now sent out its roots toward him from the plot where it was planted and it stretched out its branches to him for water. It had been planted in good soil by abundant water so that it would produce branches, bear fruit and become a splendid vine. But this is not what happens when it starts to reach towards the second eagle That eagle doesn't look after it at all. The first eagle at least had put it near a water supply. The second eagle doesn't look after it at all. The second eagle kind of just watches, allows it to dry up and wither, and then it dies and the wind takes it and the first eagle demolishes it. And it goes on to explain, it's like, what is this about? This is about the nation of Israel and their capture by the Babylonians. And so what happened is Babylon came in and kind of overtook the land of Israel and took a bunch of its people into captivity. And this is how Ezekiel finds himself by the Kabar River. Uh, but they hadn't destroyed the land. They instead put a puppet king in Jerusalem in, in place of the original king uh, in the hopes that Israel could continue as a, a somewhat functional society, but under the rule and under the law and under the empire of Babylonia. Well, the puppet king himself still wasn't very happy with this. And so he goes to Egypt and says, Egypt, can you help us? Egypt makes a bunch of empty promises, and to cut a long story short, Babylon finds out that they've rebelled, slams Israel, demolishes everything, Jerusalem gets wiped out, and the rest of the nation either goes into captivity or dies. Uh, It's a pretty horrific and horrible story, but it leads us to the second point that I want to make from this when we think about what does it mean to be a sojourner in life today, this is it. What you look to for your security will actually expose your insecurity. What you look to for your security will actually expose your insecurity. The people of Israel are taken by Nebuchadnezzar, by Babylon, and they are able to sort of half semi-function as society, but they're still under the power of the first eagle, if you will. And in that space and in that midst, they try and turn their attention elsewhere. They try to find something somehow, somewhere else. And they look to Egypt. (laughs) That ends even worse for them. And they go from being a vine with shallow roots that kind of functions, that kind of works, but is still under the power of an oppressor to being utterly and completely demolished and destroyed. What you look to for your security will actually expose your insecurity. What do I mean when I say that? Well, I don't know where you are at in your life right now, but maybe you think about the ways that you try and connect with the world, or dare I say, the way that you try and make yourself at home. The way you try and make yourself comfortable. The way you try and make yourself secure. In the world. I don't know what it is for you. Perhaps you're one of the people that needs to have the news cycle almost constantly playing because if you have enough knowledge and you have enough understanding, you feel like you will be able to make it and you'll be okay and, and the world will continue. Or, or maybe your thing is politics and you think if, if everyone just understood my Democrat values or if everyone just understood my Republican values or if, if everyone could, could you know, if, if 
politics worked and if I could lean into that and if that just just did what it was supposed to do, I would find security and hope and meaning and purpose. Or, Or maybe it's something else. Maybe there's a preacher I don't know who, but maybe there's a preacher and, and you have allowed this person to take over your spiritual growth. Instead of having a personal relationship with Jesus, you only listen to the things that they say and you allow that to be your only source of comfort and hope and healing and presence of God. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you miss out on so much when you don't have the personal connection with Jesus. Maybe it's something else entirely. Maybe you look to your family as your place of security. Maybe you look to your group of friends. Maybe it's all the different ways that we choose to self-medicate through the different crises that we face in our lives. I don't know what it is, but what I do know is that our search for security will ultimately expose our insecurity. Because as we try to make this world home in some way, as we do that, we expose the fact that actually we're not in a great place and actually we have insecurities that we're dealing with and actually we have struggles that we can't get through and actually this life is hard and tough and we discover that at best... These things lead us, at the absolute best, these things lead us to a first eagle type of life where we can be a vine on the ground, we kind of survive, we kind of get through. At worst, these things lead us to a second eagle type of life where we become utterly destroyed by our own insecurities and we become utterly destroyed by the things of this world. Thank God that the first point is true, that even... (laughs) In our worst moments and even in our greatest accomplishments, God is with us because we journey in the presence of God. But all of this brings us now to our final point and back to the verse on which we started on. And the final thing that I want you to to lodge in your head and remember in your heart and, and think about as you go through the coming weeks is this. The only true way forward in the journey of life as sojourners, as people longing for a home and longing to be reunited with God, the only true way forward is to embrace a position of trust and a spirit of adventure. Let me read again. Ezekiel 17 verse 22. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself, this is not a power, this is not a nation, this is not an eagle if we go back to the metaphor. I myself, says the Lord, will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. The only true way forward is to embrace a position of trust and a spirit of adventure. Why is it that I would say that? I want you to think for a moment. The top of the highest mountain is a really bad place to plant a tree. If you go to the top of the highest mountain, you find 
that if there's any soil at all, it is hard and gravelly and rocky. The rock faces are harsh and real. The top of the mountain is where the wind blows the strongest. How does this tiny shoot have any chance of survival? It's where the storms hit the hardest, but the water doesn't stay because it washes down the mountain. If you want to plant a tree and you want to see it succeed and thrive, you plant it in the valley or you plant it on a sheltered side of the mountain, not at the top. The only true way forward, if we're to be planted with God and in Jesus, is to embrace a position of trust. Because being planted there takes all of the trust of the whole world. But there's more. Commentators read this and they actually say as they've looked into it and they've thought about it, they think that this is one of the great messianic prophecies of Ezekiel, which essentially means that this is talking about Jesus. Jesus, who himself came to earth as a God man and was raised up. He was from a lowly family. He was from a position of carpenter in a village that didn't mean anything. And then he was planted into the position of crisis and storm and the world was against him and he died a death on the cross. But because of his death on the cross, God used Jesus to bring about new life. And then his church also was planted in adversity and in crisis, where it was because of the death and then the resurrection of Jesus that they had new life. But they didn't start as glorious and majestic and wonderful. They started as a tiny little movement in a world that persecuted them and in a world that hated them and in a world that tried everything they could to cut them down. They were on top of the mountain with the wind blowing in every direction and the storm coming down and the only The only way they could get through and thrive was to be put into a position of total trust in God and was to embrace a spirit of adventure and journey about life. I have a quote that I want to read to you from Hendrik Kramer. This is what it says. It is normal for Christians to live in a situation of crisis. Strictly speaking, one ought to say that the church is always in a state of crisis and that its greatest shortcoming is that it is only occasionally aware of it. Let us know that to encounter crisis is to encounter the possibility of truly being the church. Out of crisis, the church is born. There's some clear distinctions and differences between what God does and and what the eagle does, because the eagle can only manage to get a low-lying vine at best. But God goes and in crisis, he plants this sprig on the top of a mountain. And as God's people embrace the position of trust and the spirit of adventure, their roots start to take hold and the roots grow deep into the earth and the tree holds strong and then it grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And the gospel message of Jesus is that because of Jesus, because of this tree, because of of the movement of his people, 
All of creation can look and see and find hope and refuge. The tree goes big and its branches grow wide and it embraces everyone from every walk and every reality and nation and identity and everything you could imagine because the gospel of Jesus is big enough for everyone to find shelter and to find hope and to find meaning and to be placed into the bigger, larger story of life. It is this incredible thing and we see that, that as God's people align with the purposes of God and raise up through the things of Jesus Christ, the church is born in crisis and then the church is sent to crisis. The church, Jesus puts it this way, a city on a hill with the lights are shining the salt of the earth that flavors all the different things and all the different dishes, the color that brings life into people's lives and into their situations. The church is sent into crisis. We were never supposed to not be in positions of crisis and find ourselves in different places because it's as we reach into the hearts and lives of people in crisis that the gospel of message, gospel message of Jesus grows and expands and becomes more beautiful and whole and more people are invited into the journey and are called home by their Lord and Saviour. And so the challenge is for us today, church, not to feel like we have to run from every crisis. The challenge is Not to try and search for security in the things of this world, but to truly believe that we journey in the presence of God right now and that his presence will sustain us and strengthen us and grow us and build us and allow us to be deeply rooted in the things of God so that we can weather every storm and call all people home in the name of Jesus.